Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the message. We are already on week five, I believe, of our, our series through the book of Philippians. We've titled it Always Choose Joy. We've kind of gone through basically the first chapter, the part of the second chapter. We're actually going to finish chapter two this morning. We've been going through each one, and, and as we've kind of looked at it and, and talked about it, we were reminded that as Paul wrote this book, wrote this letter, he's under house arrest, and yet Paul constantly, almost in this book, over and over again mentions joy and mentions rejoicing and rem- remembers all these things. In fact, in a letter later in the book of First Thessalonians, he writes this in verse 5, number 16. He says, always be joyful. Paul understood that, that really joy was a choice. It wasn't necessarily something that was just simply based on circumstances. He kind of looked at that, and we do as well as kind of happiness, and we can enjoy circumstances, but our joy is found in something deeper. It's really found in a person, not in situations and circumstances. We've talked about this and kind of introed every week this way, and this is in your notes again. We need to remember that the feeling of joy is an emotion, but the foundation of joy starts with a choice, and you choose joy by choosing Jesus. That's where it's found. And a lot of people, they, they'll tell you, you know, you can find joy here, you can find joy there, you can find joy in a person or a thing. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I've, I've tried. And I know most of you have tried. But it's just not the same. There's something deeper. There's something that we were created by God to need Him, to desire Him, and He fills a hole and a void in our hearts that only He can. And listen, that's not a defect at all. That's not a problem. That's not like, ooh, that's not good. That's literally how God made us so that we would long for Him, look for Him. And what's awesome is Jesus says, man, when you look and you seek and you knock, you'll find So it's not like God's playing hide-and-go-seek, like, hey, I got this joy, I got this peace, I got this love, I got this grace, I got this mercy, come get it, come find me. It's these things where he says, man, when you look, you'll find. When you knock, the door will be open to you. And so if your life, you look at your life and you go, but I don't know if I have the joy of the Lord that God talked about, right? Or the joy that others that are following Jesus have. It is available to you, but it's a choice you have to make, and no one can make that for you. You've got to make that choice. And Paul, as he's writing this letter, literally probably chained to a prison guard, he is saying those things. He's saying, listen, I choose joy, and we can do the same, but it's a choice we have to make. So as we've been looking this, this time, as we've gone through this, this series, we're going to look at our text this morning. We're going to read every word through the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phones, whatever you use, open them up or turn them on to Philippians 2. We're going to look together at verses 19 through 30. 19 through 30. Here's what it says. Here's what Paul writes. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that you too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So 
we're going to be talking about Epaphroditus throughout the message, okay? But this is our first introduction to Epaphroditus. And he says, he says, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, as we open your word, as we spend time looking in depth in this passage of scripture, Father, I pray that God, you would just just open our hearts and our minds to what you desire to show us. That Father, we would take these words and we would be able to apply them to our lives. That it would be more than just words and spoken or words on a screen, but they would be words that they can be used as tools to form us and make us more like you. Help us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our section today, and as we looked at it together, we saw really two characters that really come out. One we know a lot about. We know a lot about Timothy. The book of First and Second Timothy are books and letters that Paul wrote to this young pastor and this young uh, minister with Paul. But we also see somebody that we don't know very much about. It's a guy named Epaphroditus, okay? Epaphroditus is an interesting thing. Now, don't raise your hand, but I am curious. After service, please let me know. Okay, come up to me and let me know, because I'm curious. I don't know if I've ever taught on Epaphroditus or heard anyone talk on Epaphroditus. Okay, maybe you have, and if you have, good for you. Okay, but I haven't. Okay, and if you have, please let me know, because I'm curious. I was thinking about that as I was putting this together. It's like, I don't think I've ever really focused in on this guy. But this is a guy that really does warrant our attention. This is a guy that we can actually learn a lot from. And so this morning, we're going to really focus in on this guy named Epaphroditus. We don't know a ton about him, but by his name, we assume that he was probably saved under the ministry of Paul. His name actually is is a Greek name that is connected with Epaphrodite, which is a goddess at the time. And so we believe that his name and things of that nature really point to the fact that he was probably saved under Paul's ministry, but but basically he's a very interesting character that shows up in the New Testament a couple of times. But Epaphroditus is an interesting guy, so we're going to kind of study him and look at him together. But before we really kind of get into some things Paul says, we need to kind of give you a little background information. So in your notes, which is so simple, who was Epaphroditus? So he does several things. We're going to kind of look at these together and then we'll kind of go back and kind of look at them a little bit deeper. He was someone who was sent from the church at Philippi to Paul to bring money and help him, okay? So what we believe and what we know from Paul's letters is Epaphroditus was actually a member, if that makes sense, of the church in Philippi, okay? So hold on to that. Like I said, we're going to come back and kind of give you more of an understanding. Not only that, but at some point while he's with Paul, he becomes very sick and almost dies. We read that in our text this morning. He becomes very, very sick and almost dies. And he, because he comes to help Paul and things like that. He doesn't die, but he almost does. And then the third thing that we believe is that he carries Paul's letter back to the church in Philippi. This letter that we have, 
This letter that he writes to the church, he sends it with him to go back to his home church, basically, and give it to them, read it to them, and have all these explanations, okay? So let me kind of tell you kind of how we believe all this kind of came about. Paul is in prison in Rome at this time. He's under house arrest, as we've talked about. And so he had been ministering and planted this church in Philippi. So they have a very close relationship. They're friendly. They love each other and things like that. Well, they hear about Paul's imprisonment. And so the church gets together and they say, man, what, what can we do? Like, how can we, we, we want to help Paul. Paul is not in a good place. Remember, we talked about this way back at week one. And if you're in prison, they're not bringing you three meals of food a day. I mean, three meals a day. You're on your own. And so they go, man, he, if we don't like provide for him, he's, he's not going to have anything to eat. You know, so they start to kind of, I can just kind of see this in my mind. You know how churches kind of work. So everybody kind of gathers together and say, how can we help Paul? How can we do this? And so somebody says, you know, you know, well, well, um, he's not going to have anything to eat. How about, how about this? How about we, we take a collection of money and, and we'll, we'll give it to Paul? And they go, oh, man, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. What, what else can we do? What else? And maybe somebody goes, you know, um, it, gets, it gets a little cold in Rome this time of year. How about we send him a cloak? How about we give him something to wear? You know, like we send him, oh, oh that's a great idea. That's a great, and so they're coming up with all these ideas, how they can support him, how they can love him. I mean, it's a really great moment. And then there's this one guy in the back, you know, there's always the one guy. And he kind of raises his hand, and he's like, and they're like, yeah, Joe, what's up? You know, everybody kind of rolls their eyes, because you know Joe is going to say something weird. And he goes, I, I think the money's great, I think the food is great, I think the, the cloak is great. Um, how are we going to get all this to him? And then there's the silence, you know, the crickets in the church, you know, because nobody thought about that. And then somebody comes to this, hey, I got an idea. And this is probably their best idea yet. They say, not only should we take an offering, not only should we give him some money, not only should we take care of his, his, his needs in that way, or maybe a cloak and all things, but, but listen, you know what he probably needs too? He needs someone. Listen, hear me here. You know what we're really good at in the church sometimes? There's a need, and when we, we, some of us, man, we, we're good at throwing money at stuff. And listen, that's important. Don't misunderstand me. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll say, hey, man, we're going we're gonna to do this or that. You know, we, we just did the, 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 ra the fun thing, or the fundraiser. I guess it's not really a fundraiser, but the, the, the giving to the kids at the elementary school, right? And some, of, some people gave money, and that was great. We took that, and we used it all to, to buy food. And, and some of you brought in some. And then don't misunderstand me, please. That was awesome. That was awesome, please. But you know what's sometimes even more awesome? When you are the one that goes. I told you about that last week. Man, there is something special about like what I got to do. And I, got, I got to show up with all the stuff. I mean, there is something awesome about being the one who goes. And they started going... Who can we send? They didn't always just focus on what they sent, but who could they send? And they said, how about Epaphroditus? And Epaphroditus was like, yeah, man, I'll go. I'll go. So they, they say, all right, man. So they send him off. And as he's going, now listen, remember, this is a dangerous trip. This isn't like, you know, jumping on the jet plane and, and heading over no problem. The thing you got to be worried about the most is, is you know, what you're going to eat. It's a dangerous journey. It takes a long time. And he gets there, and when he gets there, he becomes sick. He almost dies. And eventually God heals him. He brings him back. And then Paul 
gives him this letter and he, he goes back. So Epaphroditus is quite a guy. And I believe we can learn a lot from him. But in his letter, Paul mentions basically three titles that he gives Epaphroditus. Three things that he says. I want to look at those together. Now that we kind of know a little bit about Epaphroditus, now that we know a little bit about kind of maybe how his story plays out, I want to look a little bit more about who this guy was because I believe there's some truth here from God's word that we need to understand as a church but also as individuals. So Paul does this and he does this basically in our text um, in basically one verse. We're going to spend, even though we read all of the verses, we're going to spend most of our time basically this morning in, in verse number 25. Of, of Philippians 2. So, but let's kind of look at this together. So, let's look at the titles that he gives him. The first one that Paul gives uh, Epaphroditus is he calls him his brother. He calls him his brother. I remember as a child growing up, um, you know, I remember being, um, you know, younger and, and being in our church back home. And, and I don't know if you're accustomed to this or normal, you know, this is normal to you. I don't think we do it nearly as much as we used to. But there was my pastor, who we all called Pastor Johnson, and, and he was awesome. But, but his wife, we didn't call her, we called her Sister Johnson. Like, I remember, I think I've told you this before, like, there have been times where I was literally shocked to know she had a first name. I thought her first name was Sister. Like, I did. Like, her name was Sonia, and I could never call her that. Never. You know, she has gone to be with the Lord, actually, in the last couple of years, but, um, like, like, in heaven... I'm calling her Sister Johnson. I just cannot not call her Sister Johnson. But I mean, I grew up that way, and it was brother this and sister that. And, and here's the thing I think Paul wants us to understand and know about this title that he gives Epaphroditus, but also for us today. When he gives him this title, brother really speaks to a relationship to be enjoyed. A relationship to be enjoyed. Like, like listen, I'm not saying that we need to go back and start calling everybody and brother and sister. But listen, I do believe we need to live that way. I do believe that God has called us as a church family to act like family. And if it helps to call people brother and sister, then by all means do it. But I think it's important that Paul is sitting here, listen, man, this was my brother. This was someone that was there for me and cared about me. That I cared about him in a very intimate way. It was very special, this relationship that they had together. We're going to see a little bit more as we kind of break this thing out, why that was. But I believe that, that what God wants us to understand is, listen, when we come as a church family, I don't use that word on accident. That word is important because I believe that is what God has called us to be. It's real simple. God calls us his children. So if you're God's child and I'm God's child, what does that make us? It makes us siblings in God's family. And sometimes we don't act like it. And sometimes we do. And depending on the family you grew up with, sometimes that's hard to know what the right way to act is. But I would believe that God has this plan for all of us to live in a way that says, you know what? There's a relationship here that we can enjoy with each other. Listen, if you believe the lie that says you get to do this life on your own and you don't need anyone else, you're fooling yourself. You're believing a lie from the pit of hell. We need each other. We need to be around fellow believers. We need to have a time where we allow, as God's word says, iron sharpens iron. 
You don't have to do this alone. You shouldn't do this alone. Now listen, I get it. We need Jesus more than anything. We get that. But you know what? God is the one who way back in the garden, who when Adam had this unbelievably close relationship with God, walked with him, said, you know what's not good? That man is alone. For some of us, what we do is we believe that God was wrong all the way back in Genesis. And we think, you know what? It's okay that, that I'm alone. It's okay that I do this by myself. It isn't. God never intended for it to be that way. And not only does he call us to have what we would like to call friends, which is great, but he wants to take those friendships and take them to an even deeper place, even a deeper level, to a sibling, to a brother, to a sister. Because here's the deal. Like, like let's just be honest. Like, I have friends and I've had friends, okay? And I'm not saying that, like, there was this big blow up, but, you know, life happens. We move away. I mean... You know, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't talk to the friends I had in high school. I had them as friends. But you know what? I only have one sibling brother, and I only have two sisters. It, 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 it's a closeness. And here's the deal. They'll always be my brother and my sisters. No matter where I've moved, no matter where they've moved. And so there's something special. There's a closeness that when Paul calls Epaphroditus brother, he says this is something to be enjoyed. This is something to allow to minister to your life and to your heart. Look at Hebrews 13.1. In Hebrews 13.1, this is what it says. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Allow that relationship. Listen, that relationship that's not perfect, but yet can be enjoyed and allowed to be ministered to, to you and to them. You have something to give and share. So don't be afraid to do that and enjoy that. Next, Paul calls Epaphroditus a fellow worker. A fellow worker. Basically, what does this talk about? Why do we see this? Basically, worker speaks of a job to be done. Okay? So here's the deal. Like, he says he's my brother. That's good. We have this relationship. But you know what? They also have work to be done. There's also things that need to be accomplished for the kingdom. Paul didn't look at his situation and his circumstances and go, listen, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm trapped here. I, I can't leave the house. I'm stuck. He said, no, no, no. There's still things that we can do for Christ. And a lot of times we kind of have that mentality where, where we're quite honestly, let's just kind of call a spade a spade. When it comes to sometimes the things of the Lord, we're kind of lazy at times. You know, we kind of get... It's easy to kind of fall into that trap. I know I do it. I know everyone kind of does it. But Paul says, no. See, this guy worked with me. This guy toiled with me. This guy made a difference for the kingdom with me. Because he calls him his co-worker or fellow worker, depending on the translation you use. And I love that. I love it for a couple of reasons. One, Paul did not sit down in his situation or his position... And say, you know what, Epaphroditus, I'm so glad you're here. I am now going to sit back. I got my lemonade. I got my iced tea. And I'm going to sit back here. I'm under house arrest. You know, I can't do nothing. And I'm just going to sit here and relax and let you do all the work. He said, no. He said, this was my fellow worker. This was someone who understood that, you know what, we're going to grab hands and we're going to work together. 
Paul understood that concept that one sends a hundred, or uh, I think it's the scripture, a hundred to flight, but two sends 10,000 to flight. Listen, there is something powerful when a group of people come together in unity and get busy with the work of the Lord. Now hear me, I did not say the work of Broomfield Assembly or any church you want to put in there. Because you know what? We can get real busy with work that isn't the Lord's work. We can be busy bodies with a lot of different things. And you know what? Those things may be okay. They may be good. But I want to be a worker that's working for the Lord and doing the things the Lord wants us to work for and towards. Because when we do that, that's when we really begin to see some amazing things that take place. Look at Colossians 3. This is important. Colossians 3, verses 23 through 24. says, Paul writes this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as, you, as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Listen, you're not serving me, thankfully. You're not serving a church. You are literally serving the Lord. So if we're serving the Lord, we should be about the Lord's work. Remember what Jesus said? He's like, listen, man, he said, he said you know, the, the, the work is plentiful. He says, there's lots to do. He says, the workers are few. And I think it's interesting what words he used in that because I think it was on purpose. He didn't say the Christians were few. He didn't say the believers were few. He didn't say the Jews were few. He, didn't, he said the workers are few. And listen, I, literally this week, I got a phone call out of the blue from my, my roommate in college. His name's Joel. You've heard me talk about him. He, called, he calls. I call him once in a while. We hadn't talked for maybe two, three months. Just been busy. He called, hey, man, how you doing? We started talking about life and ministry and all these things and all these things. And you know what? One thing that kind of came up as we were talking, he made the comment. He said to me, he said, I was talking to some other pastors here. He's a pastor in California. And he said, you know what they said? And, and he said, he said, we have never seen a time in the church where there's so much to be done and so few who are willing to do it. Now listen, you know me. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I'm not that way. I'm not going to smack you around. I'm not going to shame you or guilt you. That's not God. That's not me. But there's still work to be done. And God has called all of us to do that work together. And listen, listen, we need your help to accomplish what God has for this place. I want to look at all of us and say, you know what? That's my brother. That's my sister. But you know what? That's my co-laborer. Because I'm not going to ask you to do something that I won't do myself. So come and labor together. That's what Paul calls Epaphroditus. He says, you know what? He says he comes and he worked and he helped and he made a difference with me with me because I think Paul understood it Epaphroditus understood it and we need to understand it we do it for Jesus we do it for him unto him the third thing Paul calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier a fellow soldier a soldier here I believe really speaks to a battle to be fought a battle to be fought Paul in this situation is is really you know, th there's, there's a war going on in a lot of ways. And listen, I'm, I'm not a big fan necessarily of a bunch of war or soldier metaphors, 
But I think we need to also understand that there is still a battle that is being fought for the life and the souls of people in this world. And you know what? I'm not saying we need to, like, you know, wear a uniform, but we need to understand that and get to the place where we know there's a battle that's going on. And he understood that. And here's what's interesting as well, I believe. I think Paul used this wording for a very important reason. Remember the first week we kind of talked about Philippi? We talked about the area and the city and things of that nature. We talked about the fact that a lot of uh, basically retired Roman soldiers lived there. That it was a very pro-Roman city and a pro-Roman group of people. And so this is where probably Epaphroditus grew up. This is obviously where the letter is going back to. And so basically Paul says, listen, not only is he a brother, not only is he a fellow worker, but he's a fellow soldier. I bet you as those people read that letter, I mean, they got it immediately. They were like, oh man, we know what a soldier is. We know what a soldier is. And listen, it's being Memorial Day weekend. It's, it just kind of flew this or flowed this way. But I really believe this, that we, as we look at Jesus, he is the example and the model of literally the perfect soldier. Listen, I know some of you have served, are serving, and I thank you for it. I have never, I, 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 I don't understand, but you know what? I see in Jesus some of these things that I think we can all imitate because Jesus is our model, not necessarily a person, uh, or a, uh, the, uh, not, not, not Jesus, but someone that is actually Jesus. So let's look at this together. Uh, well, actually, let's start here. I, I, I jumped ahead. Sorry, Jen. Let's look back to 1 John 3.16. In 1 John 3.16, this is what he says. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives, or it gets again, for our brothers and our sisters. So let's look here as Jesus is our model of a perfect soldier. Because I think that in a lot of ways, Epaphroditus also showed these things. Number one, Jesus was obedient to the Father. You know, Jesus humbled himself and listened to, if this makes sense, his commander. And Jesus was obedient, even obedient to death, obviously. We'll see that in a minute. Number two, he was loyal to the kingdom of God. He, he made that the priority. He made that what was most important. Not himself, not his own comforts, but the kingdom of God. And then obviously the third one, he was so devoted to others that he sacrificed everything for us. Obviously, this Memorial Day weekend. And so we understand and know a little bit about the sacrifice that some of those soldiers have given for us that Jesus gives us that model. So in all those things, I believe that Epaphroditus followed that model. I believe he was obedient. I believe he was loyal. I believe he was devoted and was willing to sacrifice. We see that even in what Paul writes about him. And so he calls him brother, calls him a fellow soldier. He calls him all of these things, a fellow worker. And so in these areas, Paul is kind of showing us who this guy is, who we can also become with the Lord's help. But I want to look a little bit deeper. I want to now kind of move into some application. So what should we imitate from the life of Epaphroditus? What should we look at and, and how should our lives also be what his was? Because you know what? He goes on a little bit in verse 25. He doesn't just call him a, a soldier and a fellow worker and a brother. He calls him a little bit more. And so in, in this, it's very important that we see to help us to basically allow these things to be in our lives. Number one, he was a messenger. 
He was a messenger. He was a messenger to Paul, and he was a messenger from Paul. And I like that. I like that Paul used him in that way. Paul basically, he came to make a difference, to to bring forth a message of hope and a message of, Paul, listen, you're not forgotten. Paul, we know you're there. Here, Paul, here's some stuff. But also not just that stuff as we talked about, but his presence there being very important. And then he went with him and spent time with him. But then, then as that happened, after that happened, he was then sent back with this letter. He was sent back with joy. He brought joy and he left with joy to proclaim joy to those people. And listen, one of the things that God has called us to be is messengers. One of the things that God has called us to be is a group of people that have a story and that have a, 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 a situation that we know what has happened. We've, listen, in this, in this kind of understanding, we've spent time with Jesus or Paul. And because we've spent time with him, we now have a new message to bring to others. We go to spend time, to minister, to help, but then our job doesn't end there. Like, listen, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thrilled that you're here. You're getting the message. We literally call this part of the service, this is the message. But listen, your job doesn't stop. You leave here, now you get to be a messenger. You get to share those things with people in your life, people in your family, people, co-workers, whatever you may be. But listen, God has called you to be a messenger of his gospel. To bring forth the good news by the way that you live, by the way that you you speak. All of these things are a part of that. And we should also look at his life and go, you know what? If Epaphroditus was a messenger, I need to be one too. Number two, number two, he was a servant. He was a servant. And and, and this is this is really this is really interesting because Paul really was was, and we've talked about this before, Paul was brilliant already. And also, obviously, he was working with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so the words that Paul used are very interesting because Paul used a word that we're going to look at in just a minute. But he calls him, we obviously see a servant. One of the reasons why, obviously, he went in the first place was to be there to help him and to to serve him. Okay, that was important. And obviously, we want to do that. But Paul uses a word in our verse that that we need to look at a little bit deeper because it helps us to understand a little bit more about Epaphroditus, but it also helps us to understand a little bit more about what God is calling you and me to do. Okay, so in in our scripture, again, in in Philippians 2, it won't be up on the screen, verse 25, Paul has called him his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier, and your messenger. And then he says, and minister to my needs okay if you have your bible open you have your pen if you got your phone whatever i want you to highlight the word minister now i know maybe you're looking at a different translation there will be a word there that maybe is a little bit different but i want you whatever word you have in your translation i want you to underline it because you need to understand what that word means and what paul is saying when he says it, okay? So it's in your notes. The ancient Greek word for ministered is the word that would be used for priestly service. The word that he used here in Greek is the same word that people would have used to talk about the way the priest served in the temple. Now, I want you to think about this. Remember where Paul is. He's under house arrest. 
and remember what Epaphroditus is there to do. So I want you to just think about this. And again, sometimes we make this too hard. He shows up. Do you think maybe Epaphroditus maybe went and bought some food for Paul? I think so. How about this? You think Epaphroditus maybe, maybe made Paul's bed? Probably. Maybe Paul um, cleaned up a little bit? Cleaned up the house? Maybe Paul said, you know, hey, um, I know you're tired. You know, you, 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 can I pray with you? Can I talk with you? Can I, can I just be there for you? I, I, I bet you did. I bet you Paul experienced a lot of those things. I bet Epaphroditus did a lot of those things. And you know what Paul calls it? Priestly service. You know what he doesn't probably do? At least we don't see it at all in Scripture. Epaphroditus doesn't stand up and preach a message. Epaphroditus doesn't have a worship service. Epaphroditus doesn't argue and have this big theological debate with the, with the Roman guard. He just serves Paul. And Paul calls it priestly service. So many of us, we get this thought like, oh, you know, God's only paying attention to this sort of stuff. And that's, no, 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 no. Maybe you walked outside and during the winter and you saw maybe have a neighbor and you know they're maybe going through a hard time or maybe they're older and they have a hard time shoveling their, their driveway or their walk and you go out and you shovel it for them. Priestly service. We have some kids that may not have anything to eat all summer. And so we gather food and we take it to them. Priestly service. There's somebody that's going through a hard time in their life. They're hurting. And you just say, you know what? I'm here. I'm here. I'm praying for you. Whatever you need. And they, they call up and maybe they talk to you for four hours about nothing. But yet you listen. Priestly service. I think that's so amazing. Because sometimes we want to serve, but we want to serve in ways and in areas that we think are, are, are kind of more important than others. I'm convinced that one day we're all going to obviously stand before God and we're going to be blown away by the little things that we did that made the most impact. When we just smiled at somebody at the grocery store and said, man, I hope you have a good day. And all of a sudden something happens in their heart because they just felt so alone. And they go, you know what? At least somebody cares. Priestly service. You see, I think priestly service brings forth a lot of things, but you got to remember what the main job of the priest was before, you know, Jesus. He would come and bring the sacrifice. And for some of us, we want to serve without the sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you right now, usually it doesn't work that way. A lot of times when we serve, when we're a servant, it requires some sacrifice on our part. And listen, that shouldn't be something that we look at and run from and go, oh, no, that's just something we should embrace. Why? Because that's what our Jesus has shown us. That's what he showed us. That's the type of servant that he was, that he's called us to be. So he was a, he was a messenger. He was a servant. He, he, he did those things. The last one, I guarantee you, unless you cheated, you have no idea what's coming up on this screen, okay? He was a messenger, he was a servant, and he was a gambler. Yep, I got you. He was a gambler. 
you go, no, wait a minute. You know, like somewhere my grandparents are not happy with me, you know. He was a gambler. Just wait, just wait. He was a gambler. We're going to look at this together because there's a portion here. We're going to jump ahead in Philippians. Or not jump ahead, but, but jump to the very end. That Paul uses another word here that we're going to look a little bit deeper in. Look at Philippians 2. We're going to look at verse number 29 and verse number 30. Okay, so Paul is writing here at the end of our text. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, verse number 30, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Okay, so again, depending on your translation, some say uh, risking your life, some say um, did not regard his life, whatever you got, underline it. Because this is important. This is something we need to understand, I think, more than ever in our world today. Okay? If you don't get anything else, I hope you got lots of other things, but you need to get this. Okay? Paul used a particular term for a particular reason. And we need to understand that, what it is. It's in your notes. We're going to look at it together, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. The ancient Greek phrase of risking his life uses a gambler's word. Okay, that means to risk everything on the roll of the dice. Paul wrote that for the sake of Jesus Christ, Epaphroditus was willing to gamble everything. I love this. Paul used, all the time he used all these different vernaculars and, and this idea, you know, sometimes he talked about uh, people that were athletes. He talked about athletes. Other time he talked about soldiers. Here, Paul is talking about a gambler. He's talking about someone who would be willing to basically bet it all on something. And he calls him this. He calls Epaphroditus, when he says, when he risked his life, that was the word he used. Basically, Epaphroditus was willing to basically say, you know what? For the sake of Jesus, to be a messenger for Jesus, to be a servant for Jesus, I'll risk it all for him. I'll risk it all. Spiritually speaking, I just have this thought and this vision in my mind of this if Epaphroditus getting down and, and having those dice in his hands and rolling them. That's, that's, that's the vision, that's the, the picture that Paul is wanting us to see this morning. Because here's the deal. You go on a trip back in those days, that was not easy. It was dangerous. People died all the time. I mean, you talk about all the things Paul went through. He was shipwrecked. He, he got shipwrecked and then ended up on an island and he got bit by a snake. I mean, you just go, what? Epaphroditus, when he said, I'll go, I'll be the messenger, I'll be the servant, there was no guarantee he would ever see Paul. There was no guarantee he'd ever get home. Scripture even says he got so sick, he almost died while he was there. He got there fine. Hallelujah. And then he almost dies. It was like he just kept rolling the dice. He said, it doesn't matter. My life isn't what's important. What's important is, you know what, is that Christ's name is proclaimed. What's important is this letter gets back to my church. What's important is that I serve Paul so he can continue on with the ministry that God has called him to do. He was a gambler for Jesus. You know what's interesting? As I was studying this and I was looking at this, I found... A story, and during the early church, there was actually a group of people 
and they called themselves the gamblers. They took it from this portion of scripture. And here's what the gamblers would do. They were, they were very much about visiting those in prison and those that were sick. In fact, not just people that were sick, but they would especially desire and minister to those people and to those cities that experienced like a plague. When a plague would hit a city, and, and I mean, a, a very infectious plague, a very deadly plague, when basically the people that were living in that city, when they found out it was happening, they were, they were literally throwing dead bodies out into the street and running in terror, these people would show up and they would go in and they would bury the dead and they would minister to the best they could to the sick and to the dying. They would do this because they desired above anything else to share the love of Christ with those people. Not their safety. They were willing to gamble it all for the sake of Christ. How do we live our lives today? Let's just be honest. What's the safest thing I can do? And I'm not going necessarily physically, but spiritually speaking. I don't want to fail. I don't want to look silly. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to go up and share my life with someone else because they could hurt me. I, want to be, I don't want to be a brother or a sister to somebody else because I know I'm not perfect and they're not perfect and we're going to hurt each other and I don't want to deal with that. So, so it's not about those things. It's about keeping everybody away and keeping safe. When Paul says, man, Epaphroditus, he gambled it all over and over again. These people that would walk into these areas, I guarantee you some of them would walk out. They didn't understand infectious diseases back then. We still don't understand probably most of it now. But you know what was more important was not them getting sick and dying. What was more important was ministering and serving those that were sick and dying. Spiritually speaking, we live in a world with a lot of people that are sick and dying. And you know what? We sit back in our churches because it's safe. I don't want to go over there because they may make fun of me. They may say something I don't agree with. I'm going to, you stay over there, I'll stay over here. When God is saying, no, 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 that's not what I called you to. I've called you to be people that are willing to gamble it all for me. To put it all on the line. And that's what he did. That's the type of man that he was. When Paul wrote about him, he said, this man, he's a gambler. What was more important to Epaphroditus was not himself, but everybody else. And listen, because of his life, listen, Paul writes the letter. Oh, this is great. What a wonderful letter. Man, if, if we could just get this out, man, people are going to go crazy. It's going to be awesome. God's going to use it. It's going to be amazing. Paul gives it to some strange guy. I mean, I didn't have the mail service back then. Guy doesn't care. Loses it. It's gone. No. Paul goes to Epaphroditus and says, listen, you've got to get this. Yeah, I know you've been sick. I know it was dangerous to get here. I know it's been dangerous while you're here. And you know what? I know it's going to be dangerous going back. But will you gamble it all just to get this back to your people? Just to get this back to your church? And Epaphroditus said, you know what? Yep. And we are studying it today because one man, not the man who wrote it, 
but one man was willing to serve and be a messenger and risk it all to get it where it needs to be. Here's the deal, and this is what you need to understand. You know, it's funny that we're using this word gambler, because when I think of gambling, I think of like, like I could win, I could lose. We have this thing in our house. It's a weird thing. We're funny. We're weird. Just, you, you know this. Um, we, we, we have bets in our home. Please don't throw rocks at me. Um, but we, we, we bet for pretzels. Like, we love Auntie Anne's pretzels in our home. If you've not had an Auntie Anne's pretzel, they will have them in heaven. They are so good. We love them. And so we, that's, that's our bet. Like, like all the time. And you know what I found, like, with my son? He's learned how this works. You don't bet him a pretzel. Because he will only bet if he knows he will win. And I go, that's not gambling. I mean, that's, that's a for sure thing. So even though that Paul calls Epaphroditus a gambler, he really wasn't. Even though God's called us to be quote-unquote gamblers, we're really not. Because he understood something, and we need to understand it the same. Epaphroditus was willing to gamble his earthly life because he knew concerning his eternal life, he could not lose. Couldn't lose. That's not gambling. That's a sure thing. But at the same time, what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that at any moment, his life could have been taken. At any time, he could have transferred his earthly for his heavenly, for the temporal, for the eternal. He wasn't gambling if he was going to win or lose. He already won. The question was just a matter of time. That's what he was gambling. My son's the same way. Listen, if he comes up to you and says, I'll bet you a pretzel, do not take that bet because you will lose. Every time. We had to learn the hard way. Don't do it. With the same vigor and the same excitement and the same confidence as Easton, we need to do the same when we bet our life for Jesus. Because you know what? We've already won. Whether in this life or the life to come, we've won. So it's an easy bet. Unfortunately, at times we forget that what matters is not the temporal, what is not the earthly. It's the eternal. Epaphroditus did not forget. He realized, you know what? God, you've called me to be a brother. You've called me to be a fellow worker. You've called me to be a fellow soldier. You've called me to be a messenger. You've called me to be a servant. And you've called me to be the easiest gambler that's ever been. Because no matter what happens, because of what Jesus has done, we win. We win. Let's close our eyes. Let's close. Epaphroditus, man, what a guy. You know, a guy that, quite honestly, let's just be honest, most of us, maybe a lot of us, maybe we'd seen his name, maybe we'd butchered his name as we've read it before in other portions of Scripture, but really kind of passed by. But yet this is a man that I believe we can learn from. This is a man who had a life that, although not perfect, obviously had some traits and had some characteristics that I believe we need in our world today. Because here's the deal. We tend to have this type of attitude that says it's never been worse. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you know your history, when Paul was in that Roman prison, when he was under house arrest, the culture of the time was pretty bad. In fact, 
it mirrors ours today very closely. And yet Epaphroditus said, you know what? I'll risk it all. You know what? I'll I'll serve. I'll, I'll have relationships. I'll fight the battles that need to be fought. I'll serve in a priestly service way, no matter if it's just something that's, 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 that's may, maybe up speaking a message, if that's what God wants me to do, great. Or if it's just simply visiting someone who's sick, who just needs some encouragement. Whatever God has asked you to do, we need to do. Epaphroditus was a great example for that in our lives. And listen, it, it almost cost him, guys. It almost killed him. As I was studying this, we don't know for sure, okay? So I need to make sure you understand that. There is some speculation here. But as I was studying this, there's a lot of scholars and theologians that believe that the reason why Epaphroditus got sick was not because he basically caught a cold. They believe that he got sick because he was working so hard for Jesus. He was working and serving so much for Paul that basically he, 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 he worked himself to death almost. Now listen, I do not believe, just as I do not believe Epaphroditus, that was right and that's what God had. But listen, I, I think we need to be a people who, I think it's better to have someone look at us and say, hey man, we need to pull back a little bit versus, you know, hey, you need to get moving a little bit. You know what I mean? And Epaphroditus, man, he did not have that issue. And I think God is calling us to be a people, to be individuals like Epaphroditus. This is, you know what, even in our world that can be so hard, even in our world that can seem so so sick and so needing you, Jesus, we need to be like him. We need to be out there ministering to the Pauls, ministering to the people, ministering basically for Jesus. We need to be a people that are willing to gamble because we know we can't lose. We need to be a people that serve, that act like a family. All these things are things that God, with his help, wants us to begin to incorporate into our lives. Epaphroditus was quite a guy. And he can teach us a lot if we'll let him. But one thing we always need to remember is we can't do any of this without Jesus. He will help us. Because sometimes you see these things or hear these things and we go, oh man, Lord, that's, uh, there's just no way I could do that. And you know what? Without Jesus, you are exactly right. But with him, all things are possible. And we trust that. So maybe, maybe in your life, as we kind of bring this to a close and pray, maybe, maybe there's, you know, like there's a specific area that the Holy Spirit kind of speaking to your heart right now. Maybe, maybe you haven't been a brother or sister the way you need to be. Maybe, maybe you haven't been a fellow worker or maybe you haven't served in the way that you need or haven't gambled. Maybe you've been kind of the guy or the gal that's kind of playing it safe. I mean, I didn't go through all of them, obviously, but you know what we talked about this morning. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will just reveal to your heart maybe the one or two things that, that God wants to say, you know what, listen, I love you, but these are some areas that we need to work on. These are some areas that I want to transform you and help you to become more like my son. I mean, that's a great thing. 
That's not a negative thing. That's not a punishment. That's our God and our Father saying, man, I have something so much better for you. And I want to equip you to experience it. And I want to equip you to share it. To be that messenger that I've called you to be. So wherever you're at, whatever the Lord is speaking to you, as we pray together, I'm going to ask that you would just pray and you'd ask God to help you. You know, it's not about a fancy prayer. It's not about saying the right words. It's just simply saying, you know what, God, I, I, I'm not probably in this area. I need, I need your help in. Will you help me to, to love a little bit more? Will you help me to serve a little bit more? Will you help me to, to gamble, quote unquote, a little bit more? Knowing that he'll, he's there and he will respond to you. So Father, we come to you right now. And God, we talked about lots of things soldiering and working and serving and gambling. I mean, we talked about all over the place, really, God. But Jesus, I believe that your Holy Spirit can speak very clearly to each and every heart because I believe, I know for me, there are areas in my life where you want to work in me and help me grow. So God, I don't know what areas you're speaking to to each one. I just believe with my, all my heart that you're speaking to each one that is willing to listen. And Father, as they are praying with me, God, I pray that you would just help them, that you would partner with them, that you would grab them by the hand and say, you know what, I'll lead you, I'll show you, I'll help you. And that, Father, in that, that you would also then give opportunities in our heart and in our lives to put those things into practice so that we wouldn't just be hearers of your words, but we would be doers of it. We need your help, and God, we know you'll help. We know you'll help, and we're so thankful. We're thankful for a man like Epaphroditus, who thousands of years later, his life is still being a messenger. God, if you can use him in that way, you can use us. Let us take what we can learn from him so that many, many souls and many, many people will come to know you for your kingdom and your glory. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Well, listen, I hope that you have an absolutely wonderful Memorial Day. Uh, obviously, day tomorrow. I hope you've been having a great weekend. I hope that you have a great time if you're hanging out with family or friends or whatever you have in planned and enjoy that. Remember, if you want a t-shirt, please sign up today because we're going to take that and get those shirts printed out. I hope you have a great week. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope that you're doing well. We'll all see you soon.